everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash cubsweekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe and check out all of our Cubs coverage on the brand new Marquee Sports Network app. For Andy Martinez, I'm Tony Andrakian. Andy, we're recapping um, a weird series for, yeah. in Colorado. You know, the Cubs just wrapped up a series loss against the Rockies, the far and away worst team in the National League, one of only three teams in, in all of baseball with 90 losses. Uh, on paper, it looked like a great matchup for the Cubs. It looked like it had all the makings of a potential sweep. Uh, I think, and we were talking all throughout the series, that we were just waiting for the Cubs' offense to explode. You're in Coors Field. You, you felt like some of the guys were... Uh, having good at bats, hitting the ball hard, a lot of base runners, all that kind of stuff. And it just didn't play out this way. And I think one thing that stands out to me is just that it's been a long time since we felt like this or looked, watched a Cubs series where we're like, yeah, they didn't play good baseball for three games in a row. It, it's, it's been a while since that has happened, about two months actually. Yeah, it's, so they've lost back-to-back series. And the series in Arizona or against Arizona excuse me, was an interesting one because they lost it. They lost three or four, but it didn't feel like that was all doom and gloom. I thought they, they never played, played bad. No, they played really yeah. well throughout those four games. And I, I think we're in a lot of ways a little unlucky to only come away with one win. And so you kind of almost like you just tip your cap to Arizona, right? Like, okay, they won the series. It is what it is. Against Colorado, what was almost disappointing in a sense was that it didn't feel like the Cubs played their brand of baseball. They were aggressive, but they were almost too aggressive at times, right? Trying to, Nick Magical, trying to, to uh, extend a double into a triple when you're leading off the inning. Or, or Pete Crow Armstrong with the ball in the dirt, uh, trying to trying to take second. Like, they're just little things that it doesn't seem like the Cubs usually do. Like, they don't usually beat themselves. Mm-hmm. Usually the other team beats them. They're not. And if they do beat themselves, usually the next day they're all right. But it was three games where they kind of beat themselves. Not great defense, not getting the timely hit, bad base running. It was just a culmination of, uh, of, uh, of bad things going, piling up on one another that resulted in, in, a, in a three-game series loss to the, to the Colorado Rockies that – you really can't have it as you're trying to trying to push for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, they made six outs on the bases in three games, which doesn't seem like a ton, but that's two a game. And like yeah. you mentioned, there's the Nick Madrigal, Pete Crow Armstrong play. PCA also got thrown out trying to steal. Nico Horner got thrown out trying to steal. Cody Bellinger got thrown out trying to stretch a single into a double. Say Suzuki thrown out at home. Uh, you know, a matter of inches on some of these plays, but six outs on the bases in the middle of Colorado, and Nico Horner said it well after Wednesday's game that, like, you don't want to make outs, outs on the bases in Coors Field because you don't want to take at-bats away from guys. And right. and this offense, again, it's I don't feel like they looked bad. I mean, they had nine hits and a walk through the first four innings Wednesday here. They That only amounted to three runs, and then they didn't score the rest of the game. Yeah. So I think what you were saying, too, that, like, what we've seen from this Cubs team, we've typically seen them add on later in games. And they just didn't really do that this entire yeah. series. And they had that ninth inning rally on Monday night. But, like, you know, you talk about, like, they didn't play poorly against the Diamondbacks. Even Monday night was was not the best win, right? Like, they, they blew a lead. You know, Jose Quas came in, gave up three runs. Like, they really needed a scratch and claw to get a one-run victory over the, the lowly Colorado Rockies, you know, on the road. So they blew a lead. They had early lead in all three games. They blew, you know, leads starting pitching. Um was good to start, and then, you know, Javier Assad and Jamison Tyone ran into issues. But, like, Pico Armstrong, great plays in his first start Tuesday night, then loses the ball in the sun. 
Uh, an inning or two later, it was Ian Happ that the ball literally pops out of his glove on the warning track. Chris Bryant goes a second on a two-base error. Very next guy. in the It was a go-ahead two-run homer in the middle of a tie game. And it felt like the wheels fell off from there. Yeah. So it was like... Ian Happ had his eye on the ball. Like, I don't quite know how, what happened. Sometimes that thing just, you know, that kind of stuff just happens. Right. But I think what Ross was talking about after the game is important here in that, like, the Cubs' schedule has been grueling. And it's yeah. a little bit of excuse-making, but it's also a reality of it's been 27 games in 27 days. And they've had one off day in that stretch and almost a month of play. And then they had a doubleheader on Friday, September 1st. So, like, they've played 14 games in the first 13 days of September it's a tough stretch. They went 16 and 11 in that 27 game stretch. Big picture, like they're still all right, but absolutely I agree with what you're saying. Like this isn't a series that they really could have afforded to lose this point and now they might be playing catch up the rest of the 2-3 weeks of the season. Yeah, I think this was your window that when you look at it, this was the window where they could have made up ground in the division. Now they're four and a half games back at the time of recording, potentially five games back it kind of makes things really, really difficult. And if you wanted to make that series at the end against Milwaukee something to play for, right, especially in terms of the division, you really needed to trim that deficit probably realistically to like a game or two at most. Mm-hmm. And Well, at, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and at four games, it's it's potentially five. It's it's almost a long shot, right? You're going to need a lot of things to break your way. And with, with the amount of time that's left, it's, it's going to be difficult to, to really do that. But, like... The, the hope is that you can, with some of these, like the rest of the, 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 rest of the season, off days kind of go in the Cubs' favors, right? They, they have the off day on Thursday, then they play three in Arizona, and then there's an off day every Monday for the, for the rest of the season, the last two Mondays. That kind of gives you a chance to not only rest your hitters, allow them to kind of find their groove again and not feel like they're playing every single day and, and really, really tired. It allows you to reset your bullpen. It allows your pitching to kind of get healthy Seems like it seemed like especially Wednesday and, and and Tuesday it seemed like Ross was trying to piece together things in his bullpen just given usage trying to manage workload not wanting to use your leverage guys in, in a game you're losing now you can kind of be a little bit more aggressive in terms of bullpen usage and I think that really helps the Cubs going down the stretch yeah I think that is a silver lining is that Mark Leiter Jr. I think was getting up in Tuesday's game. And that was it, um, or Mondays, whatever game it yeah, was. I believe it was Monday, yeah. And uh, but then never came in. Julian Merriweather was not used in the series at all. So for two guys who have been leaned on and relied upon heavily, especially the last like two months, uh, and two guys who are having bigger workloads than they've ever had in their big league career so far, uh, for them to get this you know th- four day break, including Thursday's off day, I think is is good. And I think you know it'll pay dividends. And like I honestly, I, I don't. I don't know how much there is to make, but like given what we were talking about, that this didn't look like the Cubs. It, like you said, they didn't play their brand of baseball. Maybe there is something to be said just about the fact that 27 games in 27 days. Like that's a lot. In that same time, the Brewers have played 22 as of this recording, and they're playing their 23rd tonight. So like the same 27-day stretch, the Brewers have had four off days. The Cubs have had one and also played a doubleheader. So like it is really tough. The schedule is not working in the Cubs' favor. So I am really curious to see how they come out in this Arizona series because – Arizona's right behind them in the wildcard standings. They currently hold the third wildcard spot. Cubs hold the second. For that tiebreaker, for the Cubs to get the tiebreaker, they need to win all three. They need yeah. a sweep. They won't be facing Zach Gallen or Merrill Kelly, two pitchers who shut them down at Wrigley last weekend. So that's big, but you know, just in general too, like I think big picture wise, as you're talking about too, like they really need to make up ground on on Milwaukee in order to make this kind of worthwhile. And 
you know, they, they need to they need to relax and stuff. They need to have this off day. They need to reset. So that's why I'm really curious to see how they come out of this after a tough schedule and, and what type of team shows up in, in Arizona, I think. Yeah, and, and there's a little bit of a component of, like, it's not really, uh, uh, it's not a home game at all by any means. Yeah. But there is a, the component of the familiarity, right? Spring training's in Arizona. Guys like Cody Bellinger are back home. A lot of these guys live in Arizona in in the offseason. Right, yeah. Justin Steele, Nick Madrigal, guys like that. Like, they're, it's kind of like a, a, a homecoming for them. Like, maybe just being relaxed and being back in a familiar set, setting can kind of help. You kind of hope that happens. And the fact that they saw a lot of these bullpen arms for, for Arizona might help too. It, it that's the kind of thing that you look for in a silver lining that maybe you can get this the this year's win and realistically the sweep because if it comes down to tiebreaker, you only take two out of three like you mentioned. That's that's not going to be good enough when it comes to a tiebreaker. And if it means the difference between going to Philadelphia or going to Milwaukee and then from then potentially going to either to LA or Atlanta, like those those ramifications really matter a lot. So you really want to be able to try and get the sweep to to get the tiebreaker and, and have the advantage in Arizona. Yeah, and uh, we actually talked with Carlos Pena about like that end of the season series in Milwaukee. He had a great kind of bold prediction. I was joking with him that he doesn't need to go bold, and he decided to go bold yep. anyways. Uh, but it was a great chat overall with with Carlos, just about Pico Armstrong's debut, about what Dansby Swanson has brought to this team. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we're going to chat with Carlos Pena about all of those things, Cubs. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andreacki, Andy Martinez, and we're joined by a special guest, Carlos Pena. Carlos, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. Yes, it's really a pleasure to be with you guys today. today. All right, so um, obviously we're recording this before Wednesday's game. Pete Armstrong up this week. He made his first start Tuesday. Carlos, before we kind of get into PCA and what you thought about him, we wanted to revisit your big league debut. What do you remember about it? What emotions did you remember feeling and, and like, when you see a guy like PCA or some of these other guys make their debut, are you taken back to that moment that you made your first big league appearance? Yes, it was definitely a very special moment, one that you never forget. And again, this is the culmination of so many years of preparation, right? Dreaming and sacrifice. And uh, so when it finally arrives, it, you know, what I did, you know, my experience was everything slows down because you feel there's this huge sense of gratitude, right? So I wanted to slow it down as much as possible. So I remember we were in Texas. Um, I got drafted by the Texas Rangers. We're in Texas. I, I get called up September call-up, just like this. I get up to the on-deck circle, and I remember just really slowing stuff down. Now, I did this intentionally. You know, I, I would you know, expect anyone to be the opposite, right? And, and so I kind of... I, I went against it. I said, you know what? You do not make it go so fast that you don't recognize what's going on. So taking deep breaths, you know, the on-deck circle, slowing stuff down, like taking in the stadium, you know. And for some reason, I was able to be really calm instead of nervous. Like when I got up to the plate, I remember just being calm and slowing things down. I have no idea how it went for, for PCA, <laughs> but at the, at the same time, I think, 
you know, even watching his interviews, there's this sense of gratitude. And he doesn't want it, he doesn't want to take it for granted. And I love that, right? Like, that's the right attitude to have. Yeah, and for him, it's it's kind of like one of these things, right, where it's, he knows he's up here, but he knows he's up here because he can contribute. And we kind of saw in Tuesday's game what he can do defensively. What's been the most impressive thing that you've seen about him in terms of his actual on-the-field play? His defense, to me, is the most impressive part of this game. Um, even two years ago, I keep on saying that, or maybe it was two and a half years ago, because I know he went through some injuries. Um, and I'm watching him play in the minor leagues. And I'm like, this this guy can play in the big leagues right now and could possibly be one of the top outfielders in the major leagues right now because of his, his athleticism. Now, that's, you know, a few years ago. Right. So imagine now when he has developed into, you know, growing to his body, he's gotten faster, he's gotten stronger. There's a lot of room also there for improvement. Um, and then you see the bat come around. Uh, now you're like, okay, this bat's going to also play in the major leagues. Uh, he's got a very advanced approach, and he's got all the tools necessary to succeed. But his defense is really was blown my mind from day one, and it was in full display in his first start in the big leagues over there in Colorado. Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, uh, obviously his defense it, like has been incredible, but as you said, too, like just his attitude about it, right? Like Taylor McGregor asked him, like, how, how have you been thinking or dreaming about roaming the outfield? Obviously, the most spacious outfield in the big leagues in Coors Field. And he was, like, up for the challenge. Like, this is what he's actually dreamt about. Yes. And so I really like that attitude. But also, I mean, his first inning of his first start, like, he goes out there and makes that incredible catch. Then and probably an even better catch later on. And, like, Pat Hughes and Rick Sutcliffe have seen a lot of baseball, and they're wowed by it. But for PCA, it's just like, oh, it's ho-hum. Like, this is what I'm brought up here to do. If you, if you watch that video, especially the second play, right? It, it, first, let's start with that uh, play over there in center field and we went to his right. And he went all the way back to the warning track and slammed himself against the wall, right? How, how awesome is it how baseball lends itself for stories like this, yeah. right? Yeah. Like here is the rookie who's dreamt about being in the major leagues forever uh, and, and finally gets a chance. That's what we are talking about earlier, like the culmination of so much work, right? You know, first couple plays, Boom, there is the ball, hit to center field, and he goes out and makes the play. It's like storybook. Yeah. You know, who, who, you know, if a writer was thinking about how am I going to write the most dramatic way of um, documenting the start of his career, why not make a great play? You know, and here it is. It's almost like God saying, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give the fans a show, and I'm going to place, you know, PCA, Peter uh, Crow Armstrong, in full display here for everyone to see. There it is, the play, he makes it, right? Now, the cool thing about the second one, as I started to say, if you're watching television and I'm watching the game, boom, there goes the hit, right? Yeah. The camera pans and all I see is green. Yeah. Now, I just see the outfield. I'm like, that's a gapper. Yeah. I actually see first uh, Seiya Suzuki going after the ball. He, PCA is not even anywhere to be found. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you see him coming to the frame, sprinting like a gazelle and makes that unbelievable catch. We were all in awe. Now, I knew that he was coming. I was talking to Cole Wright. Yeah. And Cole was like, no, 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 he's coming. <laughs> Everyone expected him to come into the frame, and so he did, almost like the unexpected Superman, yeah. you know, coming in and saving the day. That was, that was an awesome moment. Yeah, and what was really cool, too, about it is if you go back and listen to the play-by-play, Pat Hughes' reaction, and Pat, again, to your point, like, he's called a lot of baseball, he's done radio where he has to be very descriptive, and his description 
it's that's a ball in the gap. That could be a double or a triple. And my immediate reaction was like, oh, man, like what a tough inning for Palencia, a guy who's struggling. He just gave up a home run. Now he's giving up a double or a triple. And then, boom, that slide. And, and Pat Hughes' reaction was perfect, too, because he's like, He's like, oh my gosh, he made the catch! Like it was, it was, it was a beautiful culmination of what he is and what he was hyped up to be as a as a defensive outfielder. That was to me was the most incredible thing. If you get technical about it, the way he took that first step and yeah. went to that ball, so precise. Like if there's any wasted movement, that ball's in the gap. Yeah. But he reacts so quickly, almost. I mean, I wish we had that camera on him, and then. You know, this is one of those studies, you know, case studies that we can look at as far as athleticism is concerned. You put the camera on him, you see the swing. I guarantee you that before the ball was hit, he was already leaning towards right center field and got started in anticipation of the ball being hit. Because as outfielders, this is so funny because yesterday they asked him that. Yeah. They asked him, you know, how do you prepare? And, He's like, it's simple, really. <laughs> I, I died laughing when I heard him say that, but that's because of how much work he's put in the past. It's, it's almost routine to him. He sees the pitch. He sees the swing. He's early or he's late, and now you break before the ball is hit. This, that's, that anticipation, great outfielders have that. So I wish we could actually break that down. Yeah. Um, you know, and last night I wanted to do it. Just, it's, it's so hard, and we didn't have the time to be able to um, – to, to break that play in particular down with the, the nitty-gritty. But just the eye test, that's what Pat was celebrating so much. It's just, it, it was impressive and so much, so much fun to watch. Yeah, no, and it was, like you said, just absolutely entertaining that that's exactly how it played out. Like, and then after the game, I thought he said a lot of really good things because he was like, I'm focused on the win. I'm just thinking about the fact that we didn't get the win. And so, like, he, he is the competitive spirit that we had heard about all throughout the minor leagues, that that's what he is focused on. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Carlos Seiya Suzuki. He was another guy we wanted to ask you about because he has had a really interesting journey, really his first two years with the Cubs in the big leagues now. Um, so coming over from Japan, last year he had some injuries and stuff. This year, obviously, got off to a slow start, oblique injury, came back, was pretty good for a while, then had about two-month stretch where he was essentially slumping that entire time, wasn't driving the ball. Cubs acquired Jamer Candelario. Seiya all of a sudden is on the bench. For the for the next week, he was on the bench most of the time. He got a couple starts against lefties. Ever since then, he's been one of the hottest hitters in baseball. In September, he's third in, in slugging behind Trey Turner and I think Bryce Harper, the only two, or maybe Mookie Betts. Um, either way, he's third in slugging percentage so far in September. So just like, how does that, how, I guess, have you seen his season transpire? But how does that, like, week off maybe as a mental reset, help him come back and, and we see the version of Seiya that we always thought was possible. Yeah, this game is so mental, right? And sometimes the break, just kind of, you, you release some stress. You take off that extra baggage that is unnecessary that you don't even need to carry, but yet we do because we're responsible adults and responsible professionals and we care, right? And Seiya Suzuki is probably exponentially more um, so then, then the regular human, right? Because he's so, such a uh, uh, someone who takes this game so serious, you know, so seriously. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that David Ross was saying. I think he's having a little bit more fun. Yeah. You know, um, I would say a lot more fun. Maybe that week helped him do that. Um, it's so important to kind of let go. It's hard to do. You have to let go of the result. You have to let go of so much responsibility and say, you know what? I'm going to go play baseball. And that way your talent actually expresses itself more freely. You're not choking it, right? That's what I've seen from Seiya. Look, his swing plays, 
his, his, his mechanics, his, such an organized stroke. Um, the approach could also, you know, one of those things that could be better, and I think he has gotten a little bit more specific about what pitches to hunt, what he wants to do at the plate instead of trying to cover the entire strike zone, being aggressive in an area, looking for pitches. But the swing is so organized and fundamentally sound that I'm like, this swing cannot miss. His skill is going to play in the major leagues. He's going to produce, and we've seen him at his best. I would say his entire uh, Cubs career, right, a couple yeah. of years, this is the best we've seen him. Absolutely. And what a welcoming sight because this is uh, the moment that he's needed the most. Yeah, and, and oh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of belief, especially like amongst Cubs players, amongst coaches, that like he was, even when he was something, like he was the best hitter, right? It was like he, he was just naturally the most talented hitter on the team. But when you talk about choking it up or like pressing too hard, I think it would have been easy to think that Dansby Swanson would have been able, would have done that in this first season, right? Big seven-year contract. You think about some of the other, that big free agent class and how some of those guys have performed. But he's kind of been the opposite of that. What has impressed you about him in this first season? And what have you thought of just the, the, the debut season in Chicago? You know, resilience, you know, tenacity, um, showing up every single day and not allowing the results that he was not getting, you know, to affect how he goes about the game. He was still a leader. I mean, I remember mid-season when there was so much talk about the Cubs being sellers in the trade deadline. He was very vocal about us, like, no, you know, you need to give us a shot to win here. Now, this is a player that feels a lot of responsibility because he is um, just a recent signing, the superstar that comes over, and he hasn't performed up to people's expectations, at least on the surface. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the advanced numbers, you see how good he's been defensively. I'm, I'm like happy with everything that he's put together, especially if he goes out there and just saves a bunch of runs with his glove and gives me good at bats. That's all I need for him. But he's been above and beyond that. And especially as of late, getting hot with the bat, you know, 20 home runs from a shortstop uh, that leads all of the major leagues in defensive runs saved. You're like, this is a perfect combination. And then he brings in the leadership skills. And uh, he is uh, such a vocal leader in that clubhouse and a veteran presence, uh, a winner. I'm like, the Cubs got what they paid for and more. And this is just the beginning because obviously I do believe that the ceiling is a lot higher for Swanson. As a matter of fact, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet in his career. And maybe the moment to shine, as we've seen in the past, is postseason time. So I expect huge things from him as we come down to the nitty-gritty uh, and the Cubs are pursuing a postseason berth. I remember when Dansby was signed and he had his introductory press conference and um, I wrote a story off it afterwards because he used the word winning in some form like it was like I think 27 times or something throughout that press conference because that's what matters to him is winning and he has proven that throughout his career he's been a winner wherever he has went he has gone um, but he came here he wanted to instill a winning philosophy an attitude a culture with the Cubs and he's done that so so Carlos how difficult is that to do how does one player do? it's not just Dansby but like he has come over he has taken all this pressure that you guys were just talking about too on with the big contract but also turn the Cubs into what he wanted to manifest them into is a winner how difficult is that for one guy to help change culture like that it's extremely hard but for Dansby he's just saying you know what I'm just gonna be myself mm -hmm. um, which makes it or sounds easy right but it's tough to be yourself when you're coming into this huge market you know, the Cubs are 
legendary. Um, and so are the Atlanta Braves, but you know, here you're coming over with one mention in mind. It's like, can you turn this around? Mm -hmm. Can you be the guy who is the catalyst? You know, the fulcrum on which the season or the next 10 years turn in a different direction. Could you be that guy? Well, he signed off for it. He said, yeah, I'm going to be that guy. Now, no one was asking him, you know, you are the, the only reason why we're going to win. You can't put that type of pressure on a player, but I guarantee you he was putting it on himself. He said, if I'm going to sign over there, I'm going to bring my, the winning ways that I've learned here in Atlanta, and I'm going to turn the Cubs around. You know, the Cubs were winners in 2016. It's been a while. Okay, now with me, we're going to do it again. I mean, that's a very huge, hefty um, responsibility to place on your shoulders. But professionals do that, you know, and Densby Swanson is a champion, you know, very highly motivated and driven. So his mission was very specific. And like you mentioned it, he said championship or winning, you know, 30 times in that interview that you referenced. Well, that's really what's on his mind. Yeah. And it, I can tell because he's selfless. You know, even when he was not having the beginning of the season that everyone wanted him to have, do you see him at all uh, not sprint to first base or slam helmets or uh, show an excess amount of frustration? He just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And now we see him really just uh, blossom here towards the end of the, of the year uh, with the bat. And I expect them to do so here as the, the Cubs keep on pursuing the postseason um, in the last, what, 15 games that they have left. And, and to that end, I want to ask, like, what do they have to do to get to the playoffs? But as you mentioned that with Dansby Swanson, like, it, it was kind of interesting when the Cubs were really struggling in May or June, right, when they're 10 games under and Dansby's like, and the other guys are like, oh, we're a good team, we're a good team. And it's like, you can believe that, but sometimes you look at the record and you're like, well, sometimes the record tells you who you are, but they've never wavered. And, and they believe that they had a chance to get to the playoffs, and now they're on the precipice of being able to do that. What do they have to do to, to finish, finish the job that they've been preaching about for, for months now? That's awesome that you mentioned that. Because I think the biggest point, or let's, say, let's go to the well. If we're going to find confidence, you need to go to that well, right? The well that... that, that you can just go ahead and, and draw energy from. What is that? Well, guess what? You were 10 games under 500 June 8th, all right? And now you're 10 games above 500 or so a, a, a day ago, right? And you're like, how in the world does that happen unless you have this heart as a team, this resiliency that it's needed to become a champion? Every single team that actually goes to win a World Series goes through a stretch where it's like a moment of reckoning. The Cubs had it, and they overcame the obstacle. That is a huge fountain of confidence that you can draw from, right? So look at what you've done in the past so you know you're capable. One thing is like you were talking about like, you know, team image or team identity. You can't, you can't fake it. You know how, how you gain that? By what you've done, by discipline every single day. So they have that. You draw from there, and now you take it a day at a time. As cliche as it sounds. All that matters is, let's win today. Now, that's easier said than done because you start looking into the future. You start looking into the past. But in reality, all you have is the moment. And if you go down to the really, really nitty-gritty is win the pitch, like this pitch, this pitch. So staying present is one of those things that the Cubs are going to have to do, executing the play right now, like win this play. It's, it's so important. At the end of the game, you want to be exhausted, not physically, 
most importantly mentally because you focus so much on every single individual pitch. It's intense, but that's what it's going to take for the Cubs to be able to accomplish their goal. All right, so Carlos, before we let you go here, you just kind of talked about what the Cubs need to do over the final few weeks. How do you see this playing out? You don't have to get bold predictions or anything, but just from what you've seen of this Cubs team, how do you see the next couple weeks playing out? Will they punch their ticket to the playoffs, or do you think they're on a, a trajectory for that? I absolutely expect them to be in the postseason. And every single time they win a ball game and they are able to solidify that position in the wild card, you know, it, it, it's a step closer. Now, I think this is where it's going to play out. I think they're going to be two games behind the Brewers. You, you, you asked me, don't, don't, don't give me any ball. <laughs> no, that's fine. Don't give me any ball predictions. Yeah. Let me give you a ball <laughs> yeah. prediction, all right? They're going to get down to that last series against the Brewers, and they will be two games behind. They sweep the series. They win the division. You want a bold prediction? Wow. There you have it. All right. There That's, you go, Cubs fans. It's going to be awesome tape in a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll come back to that in three weeks. But, Carlos, thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate all the insight. Always a pleasure. Always fun. All right. That was a pretty bold prediction from yeah. Carlos Pena. But in order for the Cubs to get to that spot, to where they're only two games back, going into that final series in Milwaukee, they really need to come out of this off day on the right note, you know, they, yeah. they have Justin Steele going. At least he's the projected starter for Friday's game. So you got your ace, you got your Cy Young candidate going out there. I mean, he has to set the right tone for the Cubs. And we keep hearing them talk about David Ross has talked about Dansby Swanson, we've, Nico Horner. All these guys have talked about how important every game is down the stretch. I think that's especially true now after this series loss in Colorado. There's just a little bit more added pressure on each of the remaining, what is it, 15 games right. that are remaining? Each of the remaining 15 games, and I think every day just has a little bit more emphasis on it moving forward. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because like at the at the end of the day, a game in April that you might have lost is the same, it carries at the end of the day, it carries the same weight as a game you lost in September, right? But yeah. just naturally in September, given that you're chasing something or that there's more at stake, those games naturally mean more than that game in April. But right now, it's lined up perfectly for the Cubs in terms of their rotation, right? Who's been their three best starters as of late? It's been Justin Seals, it's been Kyle Hendrickson, it's been Jordan Wicks. In a pivotal series, that's how you would line it up right now. The Cubs obviously had some flexibility to do different things, but they're setting it up where their ace is going game one, giving them the best chance to, trying to give them the best chance to win. Kyle Hendricks, who pitched really well uh, in his last outing against Arizona, like gives them another solid chance. And Jordan Wicks has been really, really good since being called up. That is another good option. Like you, it, you can't predict or script how the game is going to go or, or or plan on how your pitching is going to go and everything. But you're giving yourself the best chance with those three guys on the mound. Yeah, and they're going to be doing it without Edward Alzali, their closer, who was placed on the IL with um, forearm strain earlier, forearm issue, tightness, whatever. Yeah. Um, earlier in the week, and Jamer Candelaria was placed on with a back injury. So both those guys were added to the IL this week. Neither will be available for Arizona, and neither will be available for the series uh, against the Pirates next week at home. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a bit before the Cubs' bullpen's at full strength or the lineup is at full strength. Not really ideal at this point, but Michael Fulmer came off the IL a couple days ago as well. Brad Boxberger, a couple days before that, both guys were used and actually looked pretty good in Colorado. So I think those are encouraging signs that can maybe help take some of the pressure off of Merriweather and Lighter as we were talking about. So all that bears watching, uh, certainly, but I think it just goes back to what we were talking about before, Andy. It's like 
this off day is going to be really key. And I think it's just very important for the Cubs to get back on track. Like it's okay to have one bad series, of course, right. especially when you're looking at a two month stretch, but like how they respond from here is going to be very, very important for the team standing in the playoffs. And it's, it's, I, I always think about like some of the losses that they've had and it's like, that's kind of like that, that could be like the one that turns the season around and, and things go bad for, for the team, but nothing is really broken this yeah. team like they were 10 games under at one point as we've talked about in this podcast and they're still 10 games over so like it, it seems like nothing has really kind of phased them and throughout like Cincinnati they dropped two really tough games they come back and blow them out in the finale in Cincinnati on Labor Day weekend and then they come out and have a, a great they series against the against yeah. the Giants like it, it just seems like they're they're this team isn't like so mentally weak that a, a bad loss or a bad series is going to derail them and if you're a Cubs fan, you're hoping that those, that series in Colorado was just that, that, right? Two bad losses, and then you turn it over and can get a good result in Arizona. Yeah, and you know, also going back to what we said, like the Diamondbacks pitch well, but their two best pitchers are not going to be starting right. in this series. While, like as we mentioned, the Cubs' best starters are going to be thrown. So um, it'll definitely be a very interesting series. So make sure you stay tuned to Marquee Sports Network over the weekend uh, to catch it all. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks as always for tuning in.